The Utah Jazz are on their way back to playing their next season. Rich and I will go over the few preseason games they've already played, plus look back at the Washington State game for Utah football and preview the big USC game coming up this weekend. That's all coming up right now on The Thatcher Effect. Five, four, three, two. You're listening to The Thatcher Effect with your hosts, Nate Thatcher and Richie Osler. Hockey is back, and DraftKings Sportsbook has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any hockey game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection. However they light the lamp, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TBPN to throw down $1 on any hockey game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the net nets you a big win with promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only, new customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of The Thatcher Effect. We're so glad to be back. Last week's episode was amazing. I don't know. How do you feel after last week, Richie? Man, that was that was an episode unlike any other. That was so fun talking to Bowler. Such a good guy. I feel like both of the episodes where we've had guests, I, I don't know. I just love both of them because you just get to see like outside perspective. And I, I think we got to know Bowler more than just like who he was as a broadcaster. We got to like really know him as a person, which I thought was really cool. But today's episode is also really awesome because now we have um, data and stats to back up our talk about the Jazz because preseason has already begun. We're literally weeks away at this point from the Jazz season starting again, which is crazy. I feel like the past two NBA off seasons have literally felt like a few weeks and nothing more. And so it's kind of cool to see us get back and really see these guys try and compete again for an NBA championship, which the, a lot of the Jazz players think can happen again this year. They got their hopes up. And from what we've seen in preseason, we haven't really seen the starting lineup. I, I don't think we'll get that until the season starts. Obviously, Rudy Gay out with a heel injury for some considerable amount of time. But we've been able to see some of the deep bench players and the rotation that I think the Jazz have been missing, uh, especially last season with in terms of depth. So what are your initial thoughts from these first few games against the Spurs and the Mavericks? So I'll be honest, I didn't watch a ton of the Spurs game. It wasn't broadcasted. Um, and I, th- I like found like a really ghetto stream of it. But the quality was just too bad to even tell who was dribbling the ball. I could only see who Hassan Whiteside was. And I don't know if it was Whiteside or Azubuiki. So that game, I kind of just scrapped out. The Mavericks game, I love that game, though. That was so fun. Um, I'll start talking about a couple of things that I really liked. And the first thing is we rolled out with a small ball lineup and we had Pascal at center. We had Royce, um, Oni, 
I think we had Trent Forrest and Clarkson. Yeah, that was the lineup. And so that lineup started out, and at first we had a little bit of a hard time scoring, but our defense looked great. And it was like a perfect lineup against the Mavericks. Um, They got a couple inside buckets on us easy, but we were able to respond really well. And we were just going fast. Um, They would try to post up Porzingis or, or Moses Brown. And like instantly everybody would just collapse and we'd steal the ball. And then we'd just run. And so it looked like, from what I understand, this was Quinn's first time running a small ball lineup. And I thought considering the personnel, it was pretty solid. And so I think that's going to be a lineup we might see more throughout the regular season. I've kind of even been questioning, like, are we even going to play Whiteside or Azubuiki? Because if we have a good small ball lineup with Rudy Gay, Eric Pascal, um, Joe, Jordan Clarkson, Trent Forrest, we got, we got 10 guys that we can pretty much play. And in that lineup, we have defense, we have rebounding, we have more than enough shooting we have playmaking and I just see that lineup being really successful and I see it working against some of these teams um, some of these second units where you really don't have to worry about their big guy um, destroying you and so I'm just thinking if I'm Quinn Snyder I got to try the small ball lineup maybe he doesn't start the season trying it out but eventually you got to get there so that's the first thing I really liked watching that that game against the Mavericks the second thing I really liked was Jared Butler um, I think we're all pretty hyped about Jared Butler. A lot of people are saying like, oh, it's just like Donovan in, in his preseason. And, in, and I mean, Jared Butler didn't play any summer league, but Donovan was great in summer league, right? Um, there are a couple things I really like about Jared Butler. He plays with a really good pace and his timing is perfect. Um, I think he's really working on that. And apparently there were some differences between the game against the Spurs versus the game against the Mavericks where he was, playing a lot better and making better reads. Um, So I think that shows that he's coachable, which is really good for a rookie. Another thing I liked about him is his shot is already NBA ready. He's shown that he can do step backs, that he's a good catch and shoot three-point shooter. And I think that's going to be something that the Jazz are going to use a lot. Now, a lot of people are making the Donovan Mitchell comparison. I kind of see him more of as more of a Mike Conley. Um, and the way he plays, he's basically just right-handed Mike Conley. He's able to shoot threes, and he's able to um, find the lob threat as well as uh, have a nice floater. And um, he had a couple of really nice moves in the paint, just like I've seen out of Mike Conley. And so I can I can see him kind of being this guy where eventually Mike Conley or Joe Ingles is going to get injured, and we're going to need to go onto our bench. And Jared Butler is going to be that guy that's going to be right there ready to take the reins and get some minutes. And I'm pretty sure I, I feel like we're going to see minutes from him from day one, and we're going to be developing him from day one. But I feel comfortable that we have that guy on our team. And I mean, the last stretch of the season last year, we didn't have Donovan and we didn't have Mike. And that was a rough stretch, but like we won a lot of games and we pulled through. So imagine adding Jared Butler to that team where we didn't have Donovan or Mike and you have another scorer. You have another guy that's able to be a good enough playmaker. And so I really feel like this is going to be something that's so important to the Jazz long-term. Um, I don't mean just long-term like five years. I mean long-term like this year because we know that guys are going to go down. 
I don't think it's it's realistic at all to expect Mike Conley to play 82 games. Heck, if I were the Jazz, I'd say, Mike Conley, you sit on back-to-backs no matter what, and you get that rest. And when you have guys like Jared Butler and Trent Forrest that are ready to be able to be good playmakers and decent scorers, I think you got to use those guys, and I think that's going to have a lot of really good upside for the Jazz. So I'm really excited about these guys, as you can tell. Um, I'm so stoked about Jared Butler. Yeah, I think, like you said, we weren't able to watch the Spurs game, which I thought was lame because I was really hyped to like get things going off because it's our first preseason game. We're going to get our first taste of the Jazz. And then they're like, oh, yeah, you can't even watch it. So I was like, oh, well, great. But looking at just the Twitter threads from writers um, and sports analysts, the only thing they were talking about was Jared Butler, which I thought was interesting. But I hadn't really seen his game, obviously, because we couldn't watch. And I love your comparison of Mike Conley because I think even in his shooting form, it reminded me of how Mike shoots. Some some form of like a – it's not really like a hesitation, but it's kind of like a slower form. I don't know how to describe it. But um, I also – I like what you said in the trying to find the holes when he's on offense. I felt like everywhere that he moved, he I liked what you said about timing. It just seemed like he looked – a lot more confident than usual NBA rookies do. And I think that this system, and I think the players that he surrounds himself with is setting himself up for success. We talk a lot about, especially as fans of the jazz, there's a lot of team chemistry, usually with most jazz teams last year. I, I think any jazz fan could really see how much this team loved each other, but now with some more off season moves and guys, new guys that are going to get playing time, it's usually a worry for NBA fans of how is this team going to mesh together? It's obviously going to take time to kind of figure out your rotation on what you want to use. But I really like the way of, I think I just saw a glimpse. We saw glimpses and moments of ball technique, ball movement of how it was going to be used. Um, I think of that fast break with that oop to Royce um, off the turnover. Like to that, I was like, Oh my gosh, if we can get this down, like this team can be good. And if I remember correctly, I think in, in Donovan's rookie year, he he didn't – I know he didn't start, but did he get, like, bench minutes in the first few games or did he not even play at all? Yeah, he would, He got bench minutes the first few games. I think he made a big enough impression in Summer League where they're like, okay, we're going to give this guy some minutes. I didn't think their idea was for him to be an offensive specialist and to be a playmaker right off the bat, but it was just kind of be like he was supposed to have Mieoni's role right now where he just comes in and plays really good defense. Yeah. And then it wasn't until I, I believe there might have been some injuries um, up front in the, in the guard position where he kind of took a step forward. And I think he started a game. And I think it was that Lakers game, especially in his rookie year, where everyone saw, OK, wow, this this kid's going to be really good. And then he started getting more time after that, eventually becoming you know a starting guard. I think Jared Butler can have not I'm not saying he's going to be the next Donovan Mitchell because I don't want to go out on a limb saying that, but. I, I think that what he can do, especially in this offense, like you said, with Mike Conley's limited physical availability, especially now with a full NBA season, I think Butler can have considerable minutes going into the future once he actually puts himself into this rotation and learns the system. Because I think he can be a really good combination with Donovan Mitchell when Conley's not on the floor. And then you even look at our bench, and I just think this depth is considerably – better than it was last season i know we've only seen a preseason game but i think honestly the potential is a lot greater than it was last season i mean i was super concerned all the time both of us were with georges niang the sixers can have fun with him now i I hope they do i I know some of them were a little hyped on twitter but we'll let them find out what happens in the regular season (laughs) um but i i don't know i i just think 
I just think the Jazz, this is a this is a team with potential, but I just I don't know where to place him yet in terms of how it's gonna look starting out the season because we haven't seen that starting rotation. And I also think Rudy Gay is gonna play a considerable amount of time going forward, but we can't really know what, what role he's really gonna play, obviously because of his heel injury. What predictions would you make about how Gay is gonna impact this jazz team once he comes back to full health? I think he gives us a lot of flexibility. Um I think once he's back, the Jazz coaching staff will have to kind of have the conversation, okay, are we going to play with a traditional center or are we going to play with a small ball lineup um, with our bench? I think that's a conversation that's necessary to have. Um, It's important that Pascal gets minutes right from the get-go because I think he's a really underrated prospect. He's had two, he had two solid years in Golden State but like he was never their main center of development. And right now he's kind of our guy that's the next guy up. Um, So I really want to see how he can improve throughout the course of the season. I think he has to change his playing style, and he's kind of talked about that. Um, He says that he's used to shooting a lot of mid-range shots, and as you know, the Jazz system just isn't built for that unless you're Donovan Mitchell. Um, So I think Eric Pascal just kind of has to learn um, how to play within his role in this jazz team. And I think he'll figure that out by the end of the season and he'll be a solid, solid player, that eight or nine guy. But when Rudy Gay, I mean, when Rudy Gay comes back, I could see Pascal getting benched and Rudy Gay playing a lot of those minutes. Um, That is if we decide we want to go with us with a traditional center and white sider as wiki. Um, I do think that Rudy Gay helps his team a lot. He's shown that he, can fit into any system. I mean, the guy's played like, I'm pretty sure he's played 15 years in the league. Funny enough, he's never gotten past the first round of the playoffs. And this might be the year for Rudy Gay to get past the first round of the playoffs. But he's he's a proven veteran. Um, he's kind of at that age where he's old, but he's not too old. You know, he was like that 2017 version of Joe Johnson, um, where Joe Johnson was, he was old, he was on his last limbs, you knew it. The next season he was done, but he had some really good moments. And I think Rudy Gay is going to have that too. He's going to have some really good moments for the Jazz. He's a guy that you can just instantly plug into the system and he'll instantly be able to help. And so looking at this Jazz roster, I feel like we're better equipped to go through a regular season as well as go through playoffs um, than a lot of people are giving us credit for. And I, I honestly see us finishing first or second in the West. I don't think that's out of line to say that. I think Denver's really going to struggle this year without Murray. I think the Clippers are really going to struggle without Kawhi. I think Phoenix will be great. They had some good additions. And I think the Lakers will be fine in the regular season. But when you look at it, the West, through a, for a regular season standpoint, is pretty wide open. And I feel like the Jazz are going to be that one or two seed right there with Phoenix. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I have the Suns and the Jazz. Um in that kind of one, two spot. I don't really know which one is going to take which place. Uh, I think it was interesting when, when we had, when the jazz had the media availability or, you know, in, in that first day talking with the press, once again, in person, it was brought up about how important health was in the playoffs because this jazz team learned in a very tough way, exactly how important health is in the playoffs. Me personally, I, I don't think this is any biased opinion, but I think if you have a fully healthy Donovan and calmly, it's it's a different game. And I know what Buller said last week. You know, it's hard. It's it's hard to ask what ifs, 
but it, you just have to recognize that even if we do lose that series, I just think it's different. I could, you could totally see how limited Donovan was in his playing, especially after he looked like he re-aggravated that ankle injury at the end of game two in that series. But I, I just think that, especially in the regular season, they can limit not only Conley, especially on those back-to-backs, but they can not only limit Conley, I think they can you know, limit some of these other star players to keep them healthy for the playoffs and give these bench guys like fantastic minutes because I think that's what really helps you in the playoffs is understanding your roles. And then even if you do get benched into the playoffs, you understand where you're capable of and you can put yourself right into that system just like you were to start. So I think that that's something that a lot of big market teams can do in the regular season is you see a lot of these teams, especially like the Nets. I know they had a ton of injuries last year, but we never really saw them at full capacity basically until the playoffs. And obviously there were injuries that happened to them there, but we weren't really able to see what they were capable of because they were just able to, they have a lot of depth. And I think they were able to capitalize on that in the regular season. I think the Jazz can do the same thing and be able to check out what their guys can offer them in, in different games throughout the season. And then once the playoff times come, you just have to make sure everyone's healthy. And then I think they're, they can go far this year. And I really hope Rudy Gay can go farther than the first round because He's a good player. And and just coming out about his heel injury, I mean, he says he hasn't been, you know, that hasn't felt good for a while. So the fact that he's been able to play the way he has, especially with the Spurs the past few seasons with an injury like that, which, I mean, it sounded not too great. I think if he's at full health, that's also a game changer. So we have our opener in a few weeks against the Thunder. What do you think? Uh, what do you think like the rotate exact rotation is going to be once we start our opening game? Do you think Quinn's going to immediately try out a small ball lineup or do you think he's going to wait to try it out against certain teams? That's a great question. I'm really curious to see what Quinn does because I feel like this jazz team is probably 11 or 12 guys deep. Um, as far as guys you could play in real minutes, but Quinn is tradition traditionally has played a nine guy lineup. Um, so I think, you know, the first game, I don't think we can expect Rudy Gay to be back. It does sound like Boyan Bogdanovich will be back. Um, apparently he's full, he's going full on in practices. And so he'll be, he'll be fine. Um, unless you re-aggravate something. So I think you can assume your starting five is Rudy, Bogey, uh, Royce, Donovan, and Mike. They're all healthy right now. And, and they're the starting five you're going to have for the rest of the season. Um, looking at the bench, you got Joe and Jordan. I think those are two guys that are set in stone to be there. I really want to see what we're going to do with Trent Forrest or Jared Butler, because I think either one of those guys can help Jared can help um, Joe Ingles with the playmaking load. And I think that'd be like, I feel like that would be really important for us to develop one of those guys and not just to develop them, but help Joe Ingles with the playmaking load and help Jordan Clarkson with the scoring load off the bench. Because I feel like when Joe and Jordan are coming off the bench, that's when the Jazz are at their best. Um, It's hard when we have to start Joe Ingles and play him 20 or 30 minutes a game. I mean, he's old. I want to see him play 20 minutes a game, and I don't want to see him play any more than that. But I know that if we get him for those few minutes, he'll be solid. I think Pascal will be starting, or um, he'll be in that second unit instantly. Um, and I think that might change whether Rudy Gay comes back or not. And I kind of think we're going to go with Whiteside. Um, the trouble with Whiteside is he does not know how to set a screen. And if you watch any of his footage from Miami, from Sacramento, from Portland, the guy is just not a good pick and roll guy. 
And that's a problem with Joe Ingles. Joe Ingles and Derek Favors had a great pick and roll connection. And Joe Ingles would make these amazing pocket passes to Derek Favors and Derek Favors was an automatic finisher with those. Um, I don't think Whiteside's the same. I feel like Whiteside, I mean, he's not a great screener. He's a good lob threat to have, um, but he's not somebody that you're going to instantly go to. And so I'm curious if we're going to go to him or to Azubuiki. And honestly, both those guys, I'm not high on either one of them. Neither of them have shown that they're great rebounders this year. They both struggled. And you know it's a problem when Azubuiki is getting out-rebounded by Porzingis because, yeah, Porzingis is tall, but he's never been a good rebounder. And so that that kind of that kind of makes me concerned. I think Azubuiki will be a fine offensive rebounder as, as well as Whiteside, but neither of them are good defensive rebounders, which we need. So I think to start the season, we'll go with one of those guys at the five, probably Whiteside because of his, his experience. And I think as the season goes on, Quinn will look to change that and – I think once Rudy Gay comes back, we might be looking at a small ball five as their backup unit. Yeah, I'm, I'm very interested to see what happens. I also think Bojan, um talking about not really feeling exactly 100% healthy last year, still with that wrist injury and stuff, coming back, he's expecting for himself a better season. So hopefully things turn around for him as well, because I know that in that 2019 season, he was an astronomical player, just playing out of his head in his role with the jazz. So hopefully that happens again this year, but we've got more talk about the jazz. So if you have any questions, make sure to comment and on our Instagram and our Facebook, ask us what you want us to talk about with the jazz. Cause now we're getting right back into jazz season, which is awesome. But of course it's also Utah football season. And you know, we've had tons of news over these last few weeks. Um, we weren't able to really talk about and review that Washington state game from a few weeks ago, obviously because of our interview with Bowler. So, Richie, I wanted to get your initial thoughts. It was an ugly game, but the Utes got it done. They're 1-0 in Pac-12 play. What are your thoughts after the Utes played the Cougars a few weeks ago? Props to the defensive line. They were so good in that game. Honestly, our defense all around, they kept us in that game, and then our offense kind of figured it out through, through the game. And I feel like that's just the theme of Utah football. Your defense keeps you in it until your offense can figure it out. Um, and our offense, man, they had some stuff to figure out. With seven fumbles, oh, that was rough. <laughs> I think we were all we were all just done by that last fumble. We were all just like, okay, if they fumble one more time, I'm walking out of this stadium. But overall, I feel like that was a really good game, um, a great developmental game for the Utes and especially for their offense. I thought Cam Cam Rising showed a lot of really good stuff. Um, McKay Bernard was great. That game. I mean, he had his three fumbles. Only one was lost, though, which isn't great, but you live with it. Um, but he played He played great. Um, I think he had around like 170 yard, 117 yards, excuse me, and he had one touchdown, and that was great. Um, I was also excited about how we used all of our weapons. We passed it to every single tight end. We passed it to all of our receivers. They all got a reception. They all got targets, um, and – I feel like that's what really got our offense going was using all of our different weapons. What I really liked was probably one of my favorite parts of the game is when we get to the red zone and we put in Jaquin and Jackson with Chris Curry. And I thought that was such a solid combination. Uh, Chris Curry was just being an incredible blocker for Jaquin and Jackson. And then Jaquin and Jackson, he had some struggles carrying the ball, but I feel like those were some really good reps for him. And I feel like that's going to be something we can 
use in the red zone a lot more often. And so I was really excited about that. I know they not all of their red zones ended well, but I was really excited about that first one. Um, other than that, I mean, my expectations for Utah football aren't high. Um, I'm really I love the team. I'm I'm proud of them and I'm proud of what they've been through and and the way that they've handled adversity. But as far as winning games, um, I don't think that's the most important thing for them right now. I think it's just getting through the season. But I'm excited to see what they do. And I know that they're going to be working hard. Yeah, I, I just think it's tough to have to go through what they've gone through and still play a football season. Obviously, there's some some pros with it. I, listening to Brayton Covey talk about it, he says it was a pro that now the team was all together when a, a, the death of a teammate happened instead of, you know, being home for, you know, the holidays. So actually being able to be together has helped them. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think this has kind of pulled all of us back and really put into perspective, you know, it's bigger than football and we really hope, you know, these guys can have fun and that they can, you know, be able to get through the season, hopefully, you know, have a winning record. And I, I hope they, they can, and they like, they have the ability to do so. Like, again, they're, they're undefeated in Pac-12 play, so they control their own destiny at this point. And I think these next few weeks, I mean, if they beat USC and ASU, hypothetically, if they beat both of those schools, they're already in a very, very good position to win the South because USC's already dropped two games at the conference. And if you beat ASU, that puts yourself ahead of those guys. I mean, these are some big weeks coming ahead for Utah football. But looking back at Washington State, I think I saw improvement in the categories I wanted to see improvement in. Obviously, it wasn't nearly as great as I wanted to see them play. Obviously, with the turnovers and the fumbles, man, I, I really wish those guys could carry around a football for a few weeks just to like a little – me and my family were talking about me like a little flower baby, you know, like in school, you know, just carrying it around. <laughs> so you just can never drop it. Um, but I, I did like the movement of the offense because again, they struggled in the red zone because that's when they always fumbled when they got in the red zone. But it seemed like after a few punts, they consistently got there and they had good movement. And I think they understood their assignments. Cam rising wasn't great, but he was effective. Um, I mean, his, his QBR rating wasn't fantastic, but he was 13 for 23 for 137 yards, but he also ran for 32 yards on, on five rushes. So again, for a second career start, kind of shaky, you could kind of see some missed, you know, throws, but overall, I kind of liked what I saw from the guy. Um, defense was amazing. Uh, they started out like the coverage kind of started out in zone instead of man, which I thought was interesting because usually, I mean, last year we saw a lot of that because they're freshmen, they're rookies. You got to give them time because they can't really play man on man with these athletes. But then they started showing more pressure and this defense looked phenomenal. And I got to say, watching Devin Lloyd play in person is an out of world experience. I honestly believe he's going to have an amazing NFL career and he's going to be a first round draft pick if he stays healthy and plays like this to the rest of the season. Because he, it just seems like he has command of this defense and he knows what to do. And I think what the other thing that I saw, especially from that defensive line, is just the depth, right? We lost our defensive tackle against San Diego State in Vianney Mawala, which really hope he can recover because some are thinking it might be career-ending. Hopefully not. But um, Junior Tafua, I think, was his name. He's a freshman that came in at defensive tackle, played a great game. And the freshman Van Fillinger came in and had a phenomenal game on, at defensive end. And I just thought – this is a team that we all knew going into the season had depth. And again, we had high expectations for this Utah team this season and because of that depth, right? We, we talked about the transfer portal and the recruiting process. Utah's been able to pick up their game in that, in that aspect. And I think in that Washington State game, we saw that a little bit. 
I really like the pressure that they put on Washington State at the end. Like they moved the, they didn't move the ball at all, and and that was awesome. I felt bad for our defense because again, looking at the time of possession, you cannot have that in any game moving forward. Like basically, Washington State had an extra quarter of offensive possession than Utah did, and I think Utah offense was just kind of blowing their defense aside because you can't expect them to play a full game on defense. I mean, the offense really has to come out firing. And I think that's, what's frustrating for a lot of Utah fans. Like you said, is that's kind of our system is our offense needs time to always figure it out. But I feel like by the time they do, it's just a little too late. And so I think the key is you got to come out firing and you got to stay consistent. And I think that especially comes in to the backfield of Utah going into this game against USC I think Cam Rising has to prove that he can play at a consistent level. So I think this is a game where he can really show what he can do. Plus, I think in order for Cam Rising to excel, I think our running game also has to do really good. Again, we we talked about our offensive line for the first three games. Absolutely atrocious. I don't think I've ever seen a worse. I saw the I went to the San Diego State game. I've never seen a worse line in my life. Like legit. I I thought I was watching a peewee game because we were literally in shotgun. We have a running back on our right. And immediately as the ball is handed off, there's already two San Diego state defenders already tackling the running back. And I'm like, they literally had to run five yards to get there through a a bunch of six foot five, 300 pound dudes. And they just walked right through. But in Washington state, we saw, we saw improvement. And that's what I liked. Like you said, um, the running backs had a great game besides the fumbles, obviously really need to hold on the ball, but they were able to find holes. And I also really like what I saw from TJ Pledger. He had a fantastic game. Um, So it'll be interesting to see who they put in the backfield with rising against USC, because I think all of them have potential. I don't think we'll see Tavion Thomas as much just because of the fumbling struggles, but Winningham has come out and said like the dude has potential. He's only a sophomore. So I will definitely see him in the future as a youth. But as of right now, I think TJ Pledger and Makai Bernard are just the obvious options. But I think in order to win at USC, you have to start strong in the run game to open up the pass game because I think our pass game is not really strong. And I think in order for them to kind of hold back a little bit in terms of the USC defense, you need to start out with a strong run game so then you can open up play action and be able to throw the ball a little bit more effectively. So transitioning into the USC game for tomorrow, what do you think Utah has to do differently or what do they have to improve from the last game in order to win by the way, for the first time on the road against USC in over a hundred years. So what, what do they have to do? I mean, when you put it like that, the stakes are high. <laughs> it's, it's always a high pressure game going to USC and play in there. And it's a tough environment. And I mean, we've never, we haven't won there in hundreds in a hundred years. <laughs> so it's a high pressure game, but I feel like our team is well constructed for that. Um, so I'd just like to echo what you said with with our running backs um, because I feel like those are the guys that are going to get it started. Um, I think TJ Pledger is so solid. And sorry, I got the names mixed up earlier. I said McKay Bernard instead of TJ Pledger. TJ Pledger had 117 yards last, uh, last, last week against Washington State, and he was solid. Um, I'm really excited to see what he can do. I think he's going to be that RB1, but we still have weapons. Um, at that running back position. And I think we can use um, those three guys, TJ Pledger, McKay Bernard, McKay Bernard and Chris Curry in different spots. I don't think we'll see a lot of Tavian Thomas. I think um, he'll probably just kind of be developmental from this point on. Um, 
but I'm really excited to see what those three guys can do. And I think each one of them has different, different strong suits. And I think TJ Pledger is going to be the guy that needs to get the offense going. Um, I'm excited to see what Cam Rising does. Uh, I feel like he has a lot more cohesiveness with our offensive line right now than Brewer did. And I think that's something that's a relationship that they're going to keep working on and keep building. Um, and I think they're going to ultimately um, just mesh really well. Maybe not this year, but next by next year, I think that, that'll just be like one of our strong suits. Um, so I'm excited to see what happens there. Um, I think the big thing that I'm sure they've been working on, I'm not sure they've been drilling into everybody's head is hold onto the ball. Uh, I think you got to work on that. Um, and it, it helps that we had a bye week to work on that. I know we didn't practice last week, but this week I'm sure they've been practicing and practicing on that. Um, and I think that's going to be a really big thing that we need to work on um, in order to propel ourselves into the future. Um, so I'm excited to see what we, what we are able to do with that. Um, I want to see rising use all of his weapons again. I want, I, I loved that he passed the ball to, uh, to Kincaid. I love that he passed the ball to Covey and I mean, he just passed it to everyone. We used Vele in that game. We used Keithy, Fotheringham, and they all they all made solid stuff out of it. And so I think if Cam Rising is able to use his weapons, then we'll be successful. And I mean, this USC team, yeah, they've dropped two games, but USC is always competitive. They've had some struggles at quarterback, and um, I think they're still trying to figure that out, that whole situation out. And I think that's a weakness that the Utah defense can expose. Um, and I think that's something that we'll be trying to expose from uh, the very beginning. I'm excited about our defensive line. On a, I'm excited about, honestly, all of our defense. Uh, one guy I feel like needs a shout-out that didn't get a shout-out was Kareen Reed. He was so good that first game, that game against Washington State. And, I mean, that's his, the first game he's played, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure, for the Utes. And I think he is just an unbelievable prospect. He showed up in that game. He had a pick. He had... Um, I think he had multiple sacks and and a couple tackles for loss as well. And I think he's one of those guys that's just the next guy up ready to step in. And so I'm excited to see what he does. Um, overall, I think it's going to be a really fun game against USC. Yeah, I think everyone is thinking that. I Looking at all the predictions across the board, it's pretty split. Like no one really knows. Because I think Utah and USC are two teams in the Pac-12 that are just they're very unknown. Like you said, USC has had some struggles. They've, they've followed a pattern of losing big and then winning big. And they're just coming off their, their win big against Colorado. Um, I, I think that the key to this game is going to have to be the defensive line again, to put pressure on Slovis because he's a pocket quarterback. And if we give him time, it seems like the, the consistent pattern when we play the Trojans is that they beat us in the passing game in terms of, they have way more athletes at wide receiver. You look at the Pac-12 area, USC has produced so many starting NFL wide receivers, it's not even funny. And I feel like every time you play them, it's usually just one of the, just their star wide receiver has the game of his life. And this year, that guy can be Drake London. Like you look at his, his stats over the last few weeks, and it's insane. He had the dopest touchdown catch against Colorado last week, which was unnatural, like not even human. And so I think even if you put Clark Phillips on this guy, he's still going to have a good game. But I think if you put pressure on Slovis up front and you don't give him a lot of time, then you, you can limit those big plays by USC, which I think is going to be huge. 
And again, you talk about our depth on defense. Like that was our backup linebacker. And in in total terms, our our front two, our starting two linebackers in Devin Lloyd and Nephi Sewell, statistically are the top two linebackers in the conference, both of those guys. And so now you're looking at the depth behind that. That's huge. Now you got to look at the depth in the secondary because I think that's a weakness that Utah's going to have this this weekend because all of our guys got injured against Washington State, which is great because we had the bye week to recover, but we don't really know how serious all of those injuries are because we basically just lost all of our safeties in that game. So I, I really hope that we have some of those guys back that can you know be available to play. But if we still have some holes in there, that's dangerous, especially with a wide receiver like London. I'm really concerned about big plays in terms of passing. Um, I, I really hope that it can be a well-balanced attack on offense. I, again, I just have no idea what to predict. Um, even with our special teams, we benched our kicker against Washington State and Jane Redding and put on – actually, oh, what's his name? Our backup kicker. I'll, I'll figure it out. But he's um, – I think it's Jordan no, – no – is it Jordan Noise? Yeah, maybe it is. Yeah, yeah, it's Jordan Noise. It's Jordan Noise? Okay. Yeah. He's 29. I just learned this this week. The dude's 29. He is the brother-in-law of Matt Gay, who is a former Utah kicker now starting for the Rams. And he literally kind of did this. He followed the same route, I think, as kind of like Andy Phillips and Matt Gay in terms of he didn't play football, but he started kicking, has an insane leg, and he's just kind of perfecting it out with Utah. And so now they're having, we're having a kicking battle again on game week between our two kickers because Jaden Redding had a fantastic season last year. And then out of nowhere this year has been missed two PATs, a couple chip shots that have literally lost us a few games. And Jordan always seemed to go in with confidence. He drilled a few PATs and he's been doing absolutely phenomenal on kickoffs in I'm, I'm not talking about the returns, but in terms of, when he kicks it as far as he can, that thing is – I think it hit the goalpost like two times against Washington State. Like, he's got a leg. Um, but, again, I have no idea what to predict. I, I can't even right now come up with a score for tomorrow because I just feel like I have no idea who – which team is going to show up and what both teams are going to look like. Do you have a prediction for tomorrow's game at all? Um, I'm always out there with my predictions. They've been all over the place <laughs> this year. <laughs> uh I'm, I mean, I'm not going to bet against the Utes. I love them too much to bet against them. Um, I'm going to say Utah 34, USC 27. Interesting. Maybe we'll have to do a little, like, contest giveaway for uh, closest <laughs> score, uh, whoever can nail it. Man, I, I think it's going to be – I think it's going to be close. I don't I don't think the offense has enough capacity to score. To, I, they need to. They need to score a ton of points, but I just don't think they're there yet. I'm going to say 28-27 Utah. I'm going to say it's close, though. I just think it's time like that. that they get a win. But I, I also think – I just think it would be so special to get a win uh, this weekend, Obviously, like for just a ton of different reasons. I think the team knows that they're playing for something more than football this year. And I think hearing from Aaron Lowe's mom this past week and telling them that like Aaron would want them to play, I think really changed their mindset of how they want to go moving forward. Again, I don't know what their focus is if really they're just trying to get through the season, but I think they're really focused on a win and they really think that they can get one. And obviously the analysts agree that Utah has the potential to beat USC this weekend. So I think it's going to be close. I would not be surprised if USC blew them out or if USC won at all. Again, I think it's back and forth. Um, 
it's going to be an exciting weekend. I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. I think this is kind of the weekend where we can see what this Utah team is going to look like, especially after all the changes that have happened over the past few weeks. But it's going to be exciting. Do you have any other uh, bold predictions or hot takes for us today, Rich? Um, Jazz are going 82-0. <laughs> <laughs> that is the hottest take there is, but you know what? I'm going to take it. Anyways, um, go Utes, go Jazz. We're so excited. We're going to catch you guys next week. Make sure to comment on our social media. See what you guys want us to talk about. We love to hear your guys' comments and, and recommendations. Um, but yeah, we're, we're excited to see what happens moving forward. So we'll see you guys next week. Rich and I would like to thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Thatcher Effect. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to future episodes and invite your friends and family to join us on the ride on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you'd like to hear more about our episodes, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Thatcher Effect Podcast. We'd like to thank Money Wizard for the intro music and the Basketball Podcast Network for hosting us. We'll see you next week.